Okay, we're going through uh, Matthew chapter 10. We are going through Matthew with discussions. So we start the tape, we stop the tape, I hear the question, I repeat the question, and then we, uh, I answer it if I remember to repeat the question. So we'll see how that goes. We're in chapter 10. We have been looking at the instructions Jesus gave his disciples. And we got through verse 15, and the last time when we were talking, we were talking about the... Uh, Apostles, as they brought the message of God, these itinerant ministers, were to um, go into a city. They were going to find someone whose home was worthy. They would stay with them. They would be cared for by them. They were not to make money and they were not to to take more than what they needed for that day. And uh, they were to give the ministry freely. And then when they left, they were to leave their blessing on that house and the city and if they were mistreated, that they would take their blessing from the house and they would shake the dust off their feet at the uh, close of the city. This idea of uh, a messenger of God coming and how, how he's treated is not just about this particular trip that he was sending them. We can see in these texts that this is talking about a pattern of ministry. And in that pattern of ministry, there's going to be a pattern of opposition to the ministry. And he begins to pick that up in uh, verse uh, 16. So Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 10:16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. But do not, when, you, when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So I want to uh, start with that, and then we'll pick up at verse 21 in a minute. Jesus makes it clear that ministry is not going to be well received. Now we kind of got a hint of that when he said, if they, they don't uh, treat you well, shake the dust off your feet. But that could be an occasional thing. He seems to talk about the fact here that this message of God, this gospel of the kingdom... It's not going to be well received by people. And so he tells them that they are going out among wolves as if they were sheep. And he says, so I want you to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. That notion is that we are to be wise in the Middle East. The wisest of creatures is the serpent in their mythology. In our mythology, it is an owl, right? So you could almost say, be wise as an owl and gentle as a dove. We also have that idea of the dove being gentle, gentle or innocent. And so that's it. In other words, be as wise as you can in your dealings with people because they are vicious. But you are not to be vicious yourself. You are to be gentle in that, in that sense. But he says, be careful of them because they are going to hand you over to the courts and the synagogues and before governors and kings. What is going to happen is, as the world begins to reject this message, 
And we see this even more as we get towards the end of time. Daniel tells us that in the latter days, men will go to and fro and knowledge will increase. In other words, there will be a, a rapid acceleration of knowledge and of travel. And in that, then, all of the things that the prophets tell us that will happen in the last days will uh, become quicker and they will become uh, stronger and they will become more oppressive. And we never know when we're right at that point, but each time there's a resurgence of persecution of Jews or Christians, uh, these words become important for us to know. And we're in a time now when that is beginning to swell in the world. Is it the last one? I have no idea. But it's the current one, and so we need to pay attention to that. So we're to be wise and we're to be gentle. And then he says, when you are called before an authority, whether it's a religious authority or a civil authority, to give an answer for your faith, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't stay at home and write this up. That's not the issue. When you are put in that place... God says, by His Spirit, the Father will give you the words to speak. Now that's comforting. But it's comforting in two ways. One, it's comforting, I don't have to figure out what I have to say. Right? That's, that's comfort enough. But the real comfort is, if your Father is speaking through you, He has not abandoned you. He has not left you. He has not left you on your own. He is with you. So that's really an important part of this. Uh, and he wants us to know that in persecution, we are not abandoned by God. He is actually more fully there than at any other time. So I'm going to stop it at that point and let you uh, bring up it. Okay, so the question is, in these kind of passages where Jesus is speaking to the apostles, he's talking to them specifically, mentioning the cities of Israel. How much of this is directly them, and how much can expand to us? Um, this is a problem with almost all scripture, uh, and both Judaism and Christianity have historically believed that there is an initial, for lack of a better word, literal or direct teaching of what the scripture says. God spoke to Abraham, then he spoke to Abraham. God spoke to the apostles, therefore Jesus spoke to the apostles. He was speaking to the apostles. How much of that can we apply to ourselves? We can apply to ourselves the patterns, but not the specifics. And uh, that's a general rule. And what I'm saying is that uh, the patterns of persecution that happened to the apostles uh, or to the prophets in the Old Testament also from time to time happened to people who were, for lack of better term, laity. When the pattern is the same, the teaching is the same as a general rule. Uh, so we can't pull it into a situation that's, that's not a parallel situation. Uh, and we have a tendency to overdo that. Uh, you know, anybody says something against us, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. No, maybe you're being persecuted because you're being an idiot, right? Uh, but if you're specifically in the context of living the faith, and that is the issue that is being brought up, then clearly we can, we can apply these in, in that kind of context.
And I'm going to talk about that a little bit uh, in, in this process. Uh, so any other uh, questions? Okay, we can move on. All right. So now this next part is bothersome. Verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. And whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So I'm going to stop it there. Well, don't stop it, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop reading there and, and talk about this. Jesus is very clear in Matthew 24 and in other passages that I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And a person's enemies will be those of their own family and their own community. The gospel of Jesus and allegiance to lordship uh, is not bounded around families. Uh, there will be close relatives, there will be close friends, there will be community members who turn on us as we believe. John talks about they went out from among us that it might be shown that they were not all of us. This is one of the reasons why it's important for us to learn uh, to know one another well, to trust one another, and to be able to know who among us is trustworthy and not trustworthy, and to not be too open with just anybody because a person can then use that against you. And so one of the struggles that we have, and some of you may have had this experience, I certainly know among Messianic Jews, this is an experience, that when they follow Yeshua, when they follow Jesus, their family really treats them uh, as if they're dead or worse. If they were dead, they might leave them alone. But, if, but they treat them worse and that they persecute them. So he says this persecution is not just going to be official in terms of religious and civil authorities, but it's also going to be a disruption between families. That families are going to have to make allegiance not to family, but to faith. And that that is part of this process. He then says we're going to be hated by all because of his name. This clearly is in reference to major persecution that has happened from time to time in the world. But at the end, the prophets all indicate there will be a persecution that is worse than ever. And at that point, people will be betrayed even to death in that kind of context. We are certainly not there now, though there are people in the world who name the name of Christ and, and are of Israel as well, who are suffering even to death uh, for their faith in that context. The Middle East, we know that is going on. It's going on in some other places. We're, we're getting the cold shoulder treatment by comparison, so it's not worthy to be compared, but I think we need to be careful of it in, in that context. Now, he says that when it becomes this major persecution, this is not the time to say, I'm going to get a lawyer and fight for my rights. So, uh, that gentle as doves shows up in verse 23. When you are persecuted in one city, flee to the next. 
I tell you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now this verse is one that commentators go around and around and around on. I don't want to go into all the detail of it, but let me tell you, there are two major ways of looking at this. One is that the persecution by the false Messiah called the Antichrist, uh, remember Jesus says, when that happens, the abomination of desolation, get out of Judea. You know, you, in other words, move out. They're, where would they move out? They'll move out into the Samaritan area. They'll move out into the Galilee. Uh, they may not move into other parts of the world yet. And, and, and as you are pushed out of Jerusalem towards those other cities, you won't be completely removed from the land until I come. Because that's a period of three and a half years or less that will be going on there. That's one maybe direct interpretation. The other one is that uh, we know that Israel is in diaspora. And therefore, there are cities of the Jews, if you will, communities of the Jews all around the world. And if persecution is worldwide, they will need to leave and go elsewhere. If you saw Fiddler on the Roof, uh, you see a glimpse of this at the end when they are leaving and they get out to the edge of the city and one of them says, Rabbi, we've been persecuted everywhere we go. We've been waiting for the Messiah. Wouldn't this be a good time for him to come? And the rabbi says, we'll have to wait somewhere else. That's literally what's going on here. We are to wait for the Son to return. We are to be faithful to him To the end, even though we are persecuted, mistreated, not allowed to be in part of society, we we may suffer that same thing. Now, we may not suffer it, but our uh, fellow believers at some point in history are going to experience this. And therefore, we need to teach our children and our converts and our grandchildren that these days happen from time to time and that at the end they will happen severely and we need to focus on being faithful even to the end, even to the point of death. So, I'm going to stop it there and now question. Okay, so uh, the question is, Now, there's an end where the Lord will come and His coming will be... That's what the he that endures to the end shall be saved is talking about. What about our lives? What about our lives now is the question. I think we find in the life of Paul and in the life of Peter and their writings uh, a pattern for our own. They, They knew the Lord's coming was coming They wrote about it, they talked about it, in both the person of, we who are alive and remain will be caught up with them. And yet Paul then says, I am ready to depart. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I think that's what we do. We stay faithful to the point of our death anyway, but we have to be prepared to be... uh, Faithful to the point of death when that death is imposed on us by persecution. So I do think both of those are are uh, correct there. Um, 
the issue of uh, can I say the sinner's prayer and then live my life any way I want has made people think they don't have to be faithful throughout their life. They just have to say the magic words and go to heaven. That's not what the faith is about. Once we confess Jesus is Lord, it's struggling the rest of our life to make those words true in our behavior. We're not perfect at it, but that should be our striving even to the end. And that's why Paul says, henceforth is laid up for me a crown of life and for all who wait for his coming. So I think that that's, that's the pattern. And then Peter does the same thing when he says, as long as I'm in this body, I'm going to write to you so that after I'm gone, you'll remember what I told you, that God is faithful. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. What kind of people ought we to be if we're living towards that day and not for this day? So I do think that that's our, that's our pattern. So any other questions on that part? Yes, Yeah, I think that the persecution is not us. This is, uh, are we still running? Mike? Okay, I think the persecution is not us. We have a tendency to think that people are going to persecute Christians. They're not going to persecute Christians. They're going to persecute people who won't give up this Jesus idea, right? Because Jesus is the stumbling block Jesus is the offense to humanity because God is an offense to the natural man. So when you are on God's side, then you're going to be persecuted for his namesake. So I, I do think that that's, that's what that's about. Um, and it's, it's really a struggle because um, the goal will always be, we're not persecuting you. If you give up Jesus... You're fine, right? But if you won't give him up, we're going to kill you. So it's always about the testimony of Jesus. That's critical here. Uh, So you want to stop in a second? The idea that we are to uh, obey God. The, The scriptures, particularly in the book of Revelation, when it talks about persecution, the people who are persecuted are the people who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. I'm thinking about doing a series on the phrase, where those are found. Uh, they keep the commandments and they keep the testimony of Jesus, right? Now, how is that the case? Well, in the New Covenant, which the Gospel is proclaiming, God places His Spirit in the heart of Israel... And he writes his commandments on their hearts. And then the mystery of the gospel, Paul says, and that's why the Romans passage that you mentioned is there, uh, has gone also to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, who have heard of Jesus and the gospel, begin to live lives that are in consistency with the commandments. And Paul says, isn't that proof? That God, by His Spirit in them, is writing His commandments on their hearts. And that ultimately, Jew and Gentile will stand before God. Well, if we endure to the end, we're not going to endure to the end on our own. Right? 
who is in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure, the Spirit of God, who seals us until the day of Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God. If you don't have the Spirit of God and persecution breaks out, you are not going to stay with it. You're just not going to do it. Nobody's got that kind of uh, ability. So it's the Spirit of God that is, that is holding us. Uh, and it is our need to yield to the Spirit and to not quench the Spirit uh, so that we will be faithful. So there's this cooperative effort between us and the Spirit that is in us to endure to the end. The Pentecost. Those were all Jews. But they were believers in Christ, right? The 3,000? They became believers in the Messiah, yeah. It's, it's, Paul's clear that, that the Jews of his day uh, who are trying to say, we're going to obey the commandments and that will save us, are ignorant of the righteousness of faith. And he wishes he could be lost so they could be saved. So he's clearly indicating that they're lost. Okay, um, but, but he also says there's a remnant. That remnant are those who trust in the Messiah to save them, not themselves and their own obedience. Doesn't mean they're not obedient. Well, that would only happen if the Spirit of God is doing that. That's not the flesh. The flesh doesn't do that. So I don't... Not the way we do. They, they think that the Spirit of God is among them. That God inhabits the praises of Israel which is what the scripture says. It's interesting in the upper room where Jesus said, you know him. This is not a new spirit. He's been with you all along, Israel, but he's going to be in you. Right? So, and that's the significant difference between the old covenant, the Sinai covenant, where God says, I will be with you. Right? And you will write these commandments on your heart. And I will bless you when you obey them and I will curse you when you don't. In the New Covenant, he says, I'm not going to make it that way. I'm going to write them in your heart. And you will know me from the, from the greatest to the least. And you will do from the heart when I change your heart and when I place my spirit in you. He says that through Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. So that's New Covenant. And that would be what we would call, today, we call them Messianic Jews. They, in those days... They were called people of the way or Nazarene Jews. Um, so, Nazarene, Nazareth, Nazarene Jews. Yes, yeah. Those are the ones that when they heard the apostles would believe and would be baptized. And uh, by the time Paul gets back to Jerusalem, I think in chapter 18 or 19 of, of uh, Acts, James says to Paul, Look at how many thousands of Jews believe in Jesus and are obedient to the commandments. 
But they've heard that you're telling people not to circumcise their children and not to keep the commandments. We don't want them to believe that because they heard you're coming. So we want you, when you do your Nazarite vow, to pay for these other four guys, right? Then they'll know that you are all you are obeying the, the, the covenant and the law just as we are, right? But we believe we're saved by faith in Jesus. We're not saved by these works. Right? So the difference between... Well, you could say the same thing about a Christian. A Christian who believes that they are saved by their works is probably lost. Paul says a Jew who believes he's saved by his works is probably lost. Because he doesn't understand Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Then there's a righteousness of the law. But by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified for salvation. So, Paul thinks that there's a confusion in, in, in Israel about that. Yes. No, no, no. As soon as he won the, the argument that Gentiles should not circumcise, first thing he did, next chapter, is circumcise Timothy. Because Timothy was Jewish. Circumcision is for Jews. It puts them under the covenant. It's not to be done for us. We're not under the covenant. We're brought in by the gospel into the new covenant. And the circumcision is of the heart. That God does. That Yeah, it's a big difference. It's a big difference. It's still confusing to both Jews and Christians. You know, we're going to fight that. Till the Lord comes back and says, okay, here it is. Right? So the question is, in the John passage, where he says, and then you will know that I am in you and you are in me, and the Father is, right? Okay. Um, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, where he says, by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Well, whose body is that? Christ, right? So, Christ is in us, but we are in Christ, right? And this is the unity of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that we partake of when we not only become members of Him or them, but we become members of one another. So, we don't, we know the words to all of this. We can say the words. We don't have a way to experience that. That that the that God is in me by the Spirit that was in Jesus is now in me, and by that means I am now in Christ, and Christ is in me, and he that has the Son has the Father, so the Father is in me, right? I don't I'm not sure our minds can fully grasp it. But to some extent, we need to remind ourselves because it changes your attitude about life and about your purpose in life and what you're doing and and your motives for things, right? To say, I am connected not to this creation, but to a new creation that's being formed and to a God who has worked all these things together and has brought me to him and is 
is willing to condescend to dwell in me, even though I don't fully grasp that, uh, that's really incredible stuff. And for Paul, that's why he breaks out in those hallelujahs every once in a while. He just just has to express it, you know. All right, I think we're going to stop here because we're we're past our time.